Welcome to the Wrestling with Edwards podcast with your host, Scotty Wrestling. This week is another, you know, normal week. However, on the show, I was able to welcome Xavier um, at a dumb millennial on Twitter. That is not me calling him that. That is the name um, of his Twitter. So definitely be prepared to check that out. Pretty exciting stuff. Um, me and him had a really good conversation, and that will conclude our show today. But I did want to touch on a few things from this past week before getting into that, because we had a Hell in a Cell pay-per-view this past weekend. We had Hell in a Cell matches on both SmackDown and Raw, and we had SmackDown, I mean not SmackDown, NXT and AEW as well. So, let's jump in. Let's talk about AEW first, seeing that that, of course, was on Friday night for the third straight week, I believe. Maybe fourth. Um, We kicked off the show with the MMA cage fight between Jake Hager and Wardlow. This received mixed reviews by many people. I thought it was pretty entertaining wasn't you know this great match or anything I gave it a three and a quarter but I thought it was good for what it was um kind of sucks that you have to watch Wardlow pass out but you have to have the understanding that this is Hager's you know spot he's undefeated in real mixed martial arts so it wasn't shocking just a little unfortunate is what it is but solid match. The Harakarana was hilarious. Um, thought Wardlow looked good. Uh, Wardlow's a future world champion. That's probably one of the bigger guarantees in this company when it comes to winning world titles. I think the only two guys that you can say have a better chance at winning the world title that are that young are MJF and Jungle Boy. Otherwise, it's Wardlow's house. Uh, moving on the show, let's see what else I enjoyed. Um, Andrade stated that him and Vicky Guerrero have a big surprise coming, which is very interesting because Vicky Guerrero is teaming up with Nyla Rose to face off with Britt Baker and Rebel. So it's an interesting situation here. A lot of people think it might have to do with that. Maybe it is the former Zelina Vega who is 
um, you know, better known as Thea Trinidad everywhere else. But um, we know her past with Andrade became one of the best wrestler manage com- manager combos in wrestling for the better part of the last decade. Um, so that's definitely a possibility. I'm wondering if they are, you know, possibly bringing in someone from Los Ingrenables, possibly someone from New Japan or Ring of Honor. Maybe they have a relationship with Ring of Honor we don't know about. Maybe Roosh. You never really know with AEW. Could be anything. I'm cool with either one. I'm hoping it's either one. Anything else will probably be pretty upsetting to me, but. I'm excited to see Andrade finally debut soon. There was a really great video package this week for the upcoming match between FTR and Santana Ortiz. I think this match has a lot of hope and possibilities of being great. Because FTR is a great tag team. I think Santana Ortiz, you know, I've been saying it for months. Pound for pound might be the best tag team in that company. It's either them, the Young Bucks, or the Lucha Bros, I think, in my mind. And you can make the case for all of them. And I think, you know, I was listening to Saul Monster sound off this past week. And he made the good point, um... Jason Solomon made a good point that Santana Ortiz are like the hidden gem of AEW. They have very rarely been used in tag action at all, especially on TV. They've been a part of the biggest faction in the company, yet they only have, I think, one, maybe one title match. Things are going to change, and I think this is where you finally get that big win for them. This this probably leads to them winning those tag titles, I think, from the Young Bucks down the road. The main event of the evening saw Eddie Kingston, Penta El Cerro Miedo, and Frankie Kazarian team up to face Matt Jackson and the Good Brothers. It was a very interesting tag, no pack no Phoenix, just these two, uh, these three, kind of a real mixed team going against the Super Elite. Um, you know, no Nick to be found until the end of the match where he ended up costing Pentagon the win by spraying him in the face with the cold spray. And it would allow the Good Brothers to get the pin. And my question now is, what? where is this story going? Because I'm struggling to connect the dots. I think it's going to be Eddie Kingston versus Omega. Maybe at Fighter Fest or Fight for the Fallen. That's my guess. Or when they first go on the road in Miami, that's probably not. That's a little too close. So, Fighter Fest, Fight for the Fall makes a lot of sense, especially once Kenny is done defending against Jungle Boy, which is this Saturday. Uh, my prediction for that match, of course, is Kenny winning. There's no uh, 
No way Jungle Boy wins that match, in my opinion. Let's talk Hell in a Cell, huh? We actually have to start on Friday because they moved the Roman Reigns-Rey Mysterio match up. Um, literally, like, hours after I was done recording last week, they announced that it was now going to be on Friday. And I thought they had a great match. Um, nothing, you know, out of this world over the top, but I thought it was a good match. Ray took a great beating. There was a spot where Roman threw Ray um, into the steel cage, saw him crashing down. Ray had a lot of fight early on. He was using chairs. He was using weapons to not only stay even with Reigns, but ahead at times. And I thought, hmm, this is interesting. Maybe they're going to really, like, give Ray the fight. Ultimately, it didn't matter. Roman Reigns won via a reverse guillotine choke where Ray would tap out. And Jimmy Uso ended up acknowledging Roman on this show. That's not being talked about nearly enough, in my opinion. I think um, I think we've kind of forgotten that this was a big story. And by the sounds of it, Jimmy said, I don't agree with everything you do, but we're better together than apart. And Roman was very adamant, well, where's your brother? We need your brother. So, interesting story still here developing, but it looks like for now, Jimmy Uso has fallen in line. King Corbin also lost his crown to Shinsuke Nakamura. He will no longer be king. He's officially Baron Corbin once again. Hoping his old music comes back. Hoping all the king stuff is done. Maybe they can rebuild him. I would bring him back as the lone wolf. But that's just be dreaming. Hopefully this is something for Corbin. Because he's had a weird career to this point. At one time everyone believed he was going to be a future world champion. Right now, not a chance. So, hopefully for his career, he can reassess, rebuild, and return in a big way. But for Shinsuke, this is very interesting to me because giving him the crown could be good, could be meaningless. Time will tell. Time will tell. Let's get to the actual Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. There wasn't too much of a gripe with this show. It was fine. I thought Bailey and Bianca had a good opener. They were inside the cell after the Roman Ray one was moved. They ended up putting them inside the cell. Bailey took this wicked bump on the KOD by Bianca onto the a opened ladder. It was a six spot. And Bianca got another big win. And I think what WWE is doing with Bianca, while the stories might not always be great, is they're giving her these major wins. She has beaten Sasha Banks and Bayley now three times over the past six months. It's, it's hard to build someone that much better, but now we're in the problem of who's the next contender. I'm guessing Carmella. But with Money in the Bank coming up, you never know. I'm guessing it's going to be Carmella, though. It would just make sense. Give her uh, another free win. 
and build to that eventual match between Bianca and Sasha at SummerSlam. That would make the most sense to me. When it comes to the rest of Hell in a Cell, um, Charlotte and Rhea had a fine match. The DQ finish really ruined that. They're clearly not stopping. They're going to have a rematch at Money in the Bank. It's already been announced. Yeah, I was once they took Roman off the show, I kind of lost interest. But they did do the main event, Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. If Drew McIntyre loses, he can no longer compete for the title while Bobby has it. And that's what happened. These two went into a war. Let me tell you. These guys did exactly what I expected them to do. They held nothing back. Bobby looked like an absolute machine. The only gripe, the only bad part of this match was the ending when MVP cost Drew the loss, allowing Bobby to roll him up. And I'm not a big fan of the roll-up inside a Hell in a Cell. I'm not a big fan of the roll-up anyways, unless it's like for an underdog-type win. So that was tough, but overall, it was a great match, I thought. It was probably the best match of any of these three WWE shows. I think Bobby's just been such a great champion, and we're already going to get Bobby and Kofi at Money in the Bank, which is a lot of excitement for me. Actually, we're going to get into Raw right now, because Raw was actually a pretty solid show, very newsworthy show, and, you know, it starts to open my mind up as to what's coming up. Because Money in the Bank, for me, is... One of my favorite pay-per-views. They may not use Money in the Bank like they once did, but I'll just I'll just forever love it with hope. At least with hope that eventually these cash-ins mean something again. So let's get into Raw. They had qualifying matches for the men and women. They had two, uh, three singles matches for the men to decide the first three of four for representing Monday Night Raw, while. They had two tag team matches to decide all four of the Raw competitors. Let's talk the women's side first. It was Asuka and Naomi versus Eva Marie and Piper Niven. I refuse to call Piper Niven Dewdrop. That is just not happening. So expect Piper Niven moving forward. And the story already took a dramatic change when it comes to Eva Marie and... Piper. So when they were in the back before the match, they were talking to Eva. Um, I think it's Kevin Patrick's the backstage correspondent. He's actually really good. Um, and he asked Eva, like, who's your friend? And, you know, they're acting stupid. They don't watch NXT UK, whatever. That's just, you know, a personal gripe. But I think a lot of people agree that's just ridiculous. And Piper goes to say, Pipe, you can hear say, Pipe. And then Eva says, stop, looks at her, calls her dewdrop. So that instantly angered her as the match went on. And Eva Marie tried to steal the credit of Piper Niven in the match. Piper ended up getting tagged out. Then Eva was like, all right, I didn't get the pin. I'm going to tag back out. Piper drops off the 
apron. Says no. And Eva Marie gets rolled up for the pin. One, two, three. In her first match back, she loses. She gets pinned. And what matters here is that Asuka and Naomi are going to Money in the Bank. Asuka is the reigning Money in the Bank winner. That's what gave her her long Raw championship run. Naomi is long overdue for getting a chance like this. So happy for both of them. I think um, not only was this the right choice, but it's interesting. Like, I don't care about Eva Marie, but I feel like, you know, there's got to be something there in this story that I'm not picking up yet, so I'm going to keep talking about it. But that's really all you need to know so far from those um, from that qualifying match. The other match saw uh, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. Nikki Cross is now dressed up as a superhero that she pitched. So, hey, we are going to be nice about it. Uh, face off with Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. Shayna Baszler got rolled up for the pin again by Nikki Cross. Alexa Bliss used her magic. I have refused, 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 refused to talk about Alexa Bliss on this show and the magic that she's been using. If you've noticed, if you listen back, I haven't talked about it, and we're going to keep it that way. Moving on. Um, So the four women are Bliss, Asuka, Nikki Cross, Naomi. Pretty uh, Pretty good four in the non-magical sense of Alexa when Alexa, you know, was once a contender because Asuka and Alexa are two of the four Money in the Bank women's winners. Yeah, because you had Carmella technically twice, but I really count it as one. Alexa, Bailey, Asuka. Yeah, those were the four. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. So those are the four on Raw. Interested to see what they do with SmackDown, especially with a SmackDown women's division that's pretty much going to be Bailey guaranteed, probably Liv Morgan guaranteed, Carmella maybe, unless she faces Bianca like I think she does. Hopefully Mia Yim, who's been rumored to be debuting on there. And... If they wanted, they could toss Natty or Tamina in there if they really wanted to. Um, I don't need that. I certainly do not need that, but it's possible. Anyways, back to Raw. Ricochet versus AJ Styles was the first match to pick one of the con- uh, contestants to be in the Money in the Bank. Ricochet pulled off the shocking win when the Viking Raiders came down and got the attention of Almost, who, of course, got the attention of AJ when he went crashing and burning through the barricade. This allowed Ricochet to hit a recoil, code breaker, whatever you want to call it, on AJ's phenomenal forearm attempt, giving Ricochet the win. I popped big time for this because... Yeah, I know Ricochet's not going to win Money in the Bank, but 
Ricochet is going to do some crazy, crazy things in Money in the Bank as long as he stays in. So that was great. Um, then you had Randy Orton versus John Morrison for the first time ever. This shocked me when they said it was the first time ever. Like, there was no way I thought for the first time ever these two were facing off. They've been in the same company for years. Like, I know John left from 2012 to 2020, but he was there from 2005 or six to... 2012 or 2011 so like I felt like they would have had something there but no uh, John Morrison picked up the win when Riddle kind of screwed Randy by getting his attention John Morrison hit a picture perfect Starship Pain maybe the best he's ever hit on Randy for the pinfall um, unfortunately you know John Morrison's still doing the drip drip comedy stuff but what matters to me is he got a win because I think Jomo is one of the seriously underutilized competitors on Monday Night Raw. He could be in a world championship match tomorrow, and I would not bat an eye. And finally, last match of the night, the best match of the night, Matt Riddle versus Drew McIntyre. Winner goes on. Drew McIntyre has all the scars on his back from Hell in a Cell after absolutely brutal battle. But he's going to try to, you know, get back on his horse. And anyone, you know, anyone, including myself, thought this is going to be Drew's time. He's going to win this. He'll probably go on and win Money in the Bank. That'll be his way around this. And Drew lost. Matt Riddle picked up the shocking win. One, two, three in the middle of the ring. So the three Raw competitors so far on the men's side are Ricochet, John Morrison, and Matt Riddle. Yeah, there's no chance your bingo card had any of them on it for this year. We'd love to see some uh, change here. Next week, the three losers will have a chance at qualifying. However, however, there was an interesting part to the show where they had Jinder Mahal, Cedric Alexander, Jeff Hardy, and Sheamus all saying, why didn't we get an opportunity? And Jinder Mahal said, that's fine, but if something happens to a competitor, think about me. So that's something to watch out for moving forward. Um, I'm still hoping, you know, if I had to pick out of the three, I'd probably pick Orton or... Mm, I'll pick... Nah, mm, 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 Let's go with... Uh, no, we're going to go with Orton. I'd probably want Orton out of the three to make it. Uh, you know, Styles tag champ. Just have a tag title match at the show. Drew, I think, can benefit from a few losses, actually. I think that can help him in his rebuild to the world title. And I think Randy's actually pretty good in, you know, ladder matches and stuff. I always like when he hits RKO. And him and Riddle being in the same match could be very interesting to me, so... That's me. Um, there's also a chance, you know, Ginger could ruin that as well. Anyways, moving on. NXT. Very little from here. Some good wrestling, which is always great. Um, Adam Cole faced off with Carmelo Hayes, the former Christian Casanova, in the opener. Great match. Um, 
Cole hit a Panama City, Panama Sunrise. So I don't know if it's called Panama City. I think it's just called Panama Sunrise. On Casanova, where Casanova pretty much stuck himself straight up in the air when his head hit the ground on the pile driving part. And he was like stuck like that for a solid second or two before falling. And that was the win. That was a really good match. I think Carmelo Hayes, Casanova, whichever you prefer to call him, he's going to be great. Absolutely great in his WWE career. Uh, Johnny Gargano was very much on the babyface side here. Him and Theory faced off with Pete Dunne and Oni Lorcan, which was a really good match. But people were chanting Johnny Wrestling, and they were giving the idea that, hey, this is Johnny Wrestling, and they're setting up Karrion Cross versus Gargano. Interesting singles match, to say the least. I'm actually looking forward to that. Could be a good clash of styles. Kushida versus Kyle O'Reilly. The main event of the evening. What a freaking match. And, you know, you didn't expect anything less from these two. Seeing their past against each other. Their past as competitors in itself. They just absolutely destroyed it, man. You know that? It was just so good. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And Kushida looked like he was on the same level of O'Reilly, which he is. He is. In in wrestling fans' minds, he absolutely is. In WWE mind, you don't know because of the whole cruiserweight stuff. But for a lot of the match, he was dominating O'Reilly. And O'Reilly was able to roll the hoverboard lock into a roll-up pin to steal the win. And to me, it was just a great, great main event. Adam Cole comes down. Him and Kyle O'Reilly fight off. You know, looks like the show's going to end that way. But no. Cut back into the ring. Kushida's getting laid out. There's three men in hoods and Malcolm Bivens. Two on the side revealed to be Tyler Rust on the left, Hideki Suzuki of, um, I believe, Big Japan, and Noah and Zero One, maybe, reveals himself. He was a big signing this past April. But the leader, the clear leader... The returning Roderick Strong. And this, ladies and gentlemen, forms Diamond Mine. I'm very excited for this. I'm very excited for this. Doing Roddy versus Kushida. Not only is that going to kick ass, but it's something for Roddy to do. And him becoming a leader, giving Malcolm Bivens something to do. Tyler Russ is very talented. I'm excited to see what Suzuki does in this group. I'm excited overall for Diamond Mine. I think it was a great addition. That was a great decision to, you know, do this with them. You know, because it gives three guys, four guys, something sort of direction. It gives emphasis on the cruiserweight division. It's all good in my book. All good in my book.
the last thing I want to talk about before changing this over to my interview or discussion with Xavier is that um, you guys probably know that I watch many, many a wrestling and I don't cover it all here. I tend to toss some things in and out that aren't necessarily on weekly, but I watched the Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling additional show. Is that what it's called? Either way, it was uh, one of their big shows of this past week. And they have this rookie, this new talent. She's an idol. She's a very, very, very successful idol. Her name is Yuki Arai. And my goodness, is she talented. You know, Alex pointed out to me, he was like, here, like, take a look. Check it. Check out what she's doing because she's already really good. And I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And my goodness, her match with uh, Mariah, yeah, with Mariah was so good. So good. She was better than half the roster in, in TJPW. She was better than so many at this stage of her career. And, like, I know this is never going to be her main gig, but she should be a future champion. Like, no doubt in my mind, she should be a future champion of Tokyo Joshi Pro. She is a talent. Everything she does is with emphasis. She gets it. I'm hopeful that she turns wrestling into a passion more than just like a hobby that she'll dive into once a month, twice a month. Because she's special, and I'm really excited to see where she grows and what she grows into. But that's it for me this week, um, at least on my personal side. Stay tuned to listen to my interview with Xavier, and otherwise, I'll see you next week, guys. All right, with me today is one half of the Stardust Press podcast, Xavier. Xavier, how are you doing today? Ah, uh, good, good. Like I so I tweeted out, I was like, oh, I almost didn't wake up. <laughs> you asked me what time would Happen. be fine, and I mean... The time worked, I just didn't wake up. <laughs> and it, it happens. It happens to me all the time. Like, that's usually, especially, like, when it's later in the day, I feel like those are the days that I actually, like, sleep well and sleep in, which is rare. So don't worry. You you made it here, and that's what matters. As you said, you're built different. Yeah, I'm built different. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, this is a wrestling podcast, so we should probably talk about wrestling, even though you are one of the few that say you hate wrestling, which is understandable. I, I, okay. Uh, me and Beth, my co-host, we often say the Stardust Press podcast is a wrestling podcast for people who don't watch wrestling or don't like wrestling, because, I mean, that's what it is. A lot of podcasts like to go in-depth about matches and stuff like that. We occasionally can do that, but honestly, our brains are very tiny. There's probably like one brain cell between the both of us, so <laughs> it usually just advances into a bunch of other conversations. So, Well, from someone that's listened, I definitely think you guys have a good grasp of uh, making it a conversation, like you said, and rather, I think it's good that you guys don't necessarily always go in-depth on like a match or something, because... Like as someone that runs their own podcast, that can get very boring for everyone involved. So 
you guys are doing good, so don't worry. I think you guys have more than one brain cell. Don't you worry. But, yeah, that's. I think that's a big problem with a lot of podcasts. Is it's too, too form formulatic. I guess we can say, just that same formula. And yeah, yeah, it gets um, it gets boring, and I think a lot of people end up hating their podcast after that. And uh, you know, I'm someone that complains about my podcast once in a while, but at least I feel like I don't have the formula every single week. I just kind of talk about what I like and what I don't, which is what you guys do as well, which I think is great. I think, I think you're a bit nicer than we are. You're you're like, you don't go out of your way to say, I'm not going to watch this. Me and Beth would be like, okay, we are not watching this. I promise you this. Well, the reason I try to be nice is mostly because like, I feel like every podcast in the world now just complains about like, stuff in wwe and i'm like well i'm not doing that i just have you were doing it for a little bit i remember I was like, oh i was i yeah. was and then i was like i'm just not gonna talk about raw anymore i can't, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like i've just tried to you know change it up but i think i think for everyone especially when it comes to being a fan of anything um sometimes that anger just does come out and you just you just gotta share it because who else is gonna listen yeah, because they're obviously not. They're making money, so they're not going to try to change their formula. Exactly. Um. So, you know, as we try to not trash on wrestling, let me ask you. Yeah. <laughs> how did you uh get into wrestling? I mean, you have a wrestling podcast, so there has to be some way that made you say, you know what, I like this enough that I'm going to talk about it on a weekly basis. I actually don't watch wrestling at all. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh. <laughs> Uh, that would be the greatest swerve in the world. Yeah, I don't watch wrestling at all. I just get on and talk and hope I did it right. Uh, but no, so I was born in '02. Uh, my dad, uh, he he was in the WCW power plant as they were closing down. Like he he had already been on tv regularly in the 2000s during the new blood storyline as a part of russo and bischoff security but he was like kind of like mark jendrick and all those people he was power plant guys but he wasn't one of those guys who were already on tv doing that like he did the like b shows and stuff like that you search Corey williams and then like wcw i'm sure you can find like him and my uncle ashley on like wcw saturday night or something but uh he was already a wrestler, uh, and of course they closed down, so he was just doing like Southern Indies and stuff, and that's how like he met my mom or whatever. Uh, he did get an offer when TNA was starting up to go over there, but I don't know. I guess he was lazy. Who knows? But I already <laughs> had between him and then my mom was one of those people who already went to local wrestling events, so they were already fans if you will and then when i was born it just kind of like passed on because my family in the southern indies they just like they love patrolling patrolling that indie scene or they did so i was already like at a show almost all the time so i was like well this is pretty cool but like as far as when i was able to actually not be a baby and like watch stuff Honestly, it was just watching VHS tapes. Like, uh, my dad, he ended up working, like, at a food line as a manager, and I would go in the back, and he would have, like, VHS tapes from, like, 
of WCW. Uh, I think one match I remember it was like Ultimo Dragon versus Alex Wright, and then like after that, I'd watch like WWF Raw with like The Rock and Stone Cold. So it was just like a bunch of different stuff. So I was just like, all right, this is cool. And then as time went on, I just started watching everything eventually. <laughs> I think you know the idea of being born into it is a really popular thing especially for those who end up you know going on to become wrestlers it's that yeah something that you want to do um down the line i know you say many a time on twitter that um you're not only going to run your own promotion but you are going to win all the world titles so i just would like to know i wish i was half joking about that (laughs) uh uh so yes and no like i feel like I don't want to make that a full-time goal. Like I said, my current goal, like, me and Beth talk about it all the time. Like, we eventually do want to make money from doing all this. And, like, if she hadn't come on as co-host, this probably wouldn't be a real possibility. But since I have her along, I can see someone I can trust that I feel like, okay, we can make something happen in the future. If we can eventually get the funds, even just to, like, run, like, maybe, like, one show a month to actually run a company that would be cool uh but i do eventually want to like okay so i was illegally trained because i was like i was underage but like all my family like i said they're wrestlers so they really didn't care so i would like to get professionally trained eventually but i couldn't see myself doing that as a full-on career um with something like this and us like thinking about ideas for our brand this is something that we could do forever like i've had it in my mindset uh i haven't come out basically like out in the open and said it but i have the mindset like once i've had my first child in the future that's kind of when i don't want to have like an actual day job and i feel like if i was a wrestler i wouldn't really like that because i would be i'll be away from home all the time and i just wouldn't be able to put as much into it as i would like to because I don't want to be one of those guys who, like, eventually has a kid when they're in, like, their late 30s and, like, can't do anything with your kids because you're so broken down, so. Right, right, yeah. yeah. And I feel like we hear uh, those stories more and more as the years go on. Um, yeah. But I, I do like the idea that, you know, maybe running a promotion, running a few shows is something that you'd be interested in because I think when it comes to being a promoter of some sort or mm-hmm. – like you said, having Beth with you to do that is definitely a good uh, planning because having a partner or a co-host or whatever is very important for success. And I think uh, I think that I like where you're coming from. Like you don't you you have your um, mentality of how you'd want to do this, which is really good. Even if, like, we don't get, like, an actual company, we can at least make this an actual brand. I mean, I look at Tiger Driver and Deadlock. They're just doing stuff that they want to do because they enjoy it. And I'm like, we could do that. And, like, we've talked about T-shirt ideas. And, like, these ideas, I won't put them out there. But they're, like, definitely ideas that nobody else is going to think of but us, too. So it's just one of those things where, like, we could definitely do something with this as in the future and like we've already kicked the ball around it's just one of those things where we'll know it'll take time we're not going to try to rush it yeah yeah and um that's definitely something a lot of people probably have to 
remember. So it's good that you guys understand that. And it's also great that you guys are willing to take the time. I think that's a big, big, especially in podcasting, which is something I've learned. Like, uh-huh. you know, you got to build and you got to be consistent, which you guys are, which is great. Um, and you guys have like the brand, I think like Stardust Press is a great name. Um, so I'm, I'm looking, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys do because not only do you guys have the showdown, but you guys clearly are, um, you guys work well together. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. This wasn't really like where I expected this conversation to go, but I love it because it's good for the context. I mean. Yeah, and like I mean, everybody who does a podcast, they probably think they want to like eventually make money. That wasn't something that I had in mind originally. And then Beth was like, you know, one day we should make money from this. I was like, oh yeah, we should make merch. And we just started kicking around ideas. One we put out on Twitter that we'll definitely do whenever we start making shirts is a uh, parody of Nick Gage's MDK's shirt with uh, TJPW's Up Hub Girls. So that's something that we're definitely going to eventually do. And we were just like, yeah, and we were just like seeing everybody else and what shirts they're putting out. Our ideas are none, none, none related to what they want to do. Like all there right, is like right. genuine wrestling shirts. Ours is more so. It's wrestling, but here's what we got. <laughs> yeah, it's you, you know every like you said, everyone wants to probably make money from this, and okay, for sure. Half the reason I do this podcast is isn't for money. It's just because you know I love wrestling and this oh, is yeah. my way of talking about it. The other half is not necessarily expecting this podcast to make me money, but me being able to you know talk every week and talk to people like yourself and mm-hmm. Alex and Robbie and the list goes on and on. Like I feel like you know just having these conversations not only gives me an idea of like what other people are thinking, but also just, you know, helps push me along as well. So I think that's the beauty of the podcast. You can really do anything you want with it. And, you know, I'm just hoping the best for you guys because you, um, you and Beth are rising in not only the podcast, but I think you guys have bright futures. So good shit. Yeah. Uh, this, I won't go back into this too much because, you know, we we got stuff we got to talk about and we'll probably have good conversations about that. But to do a wrestling podcast, you got to love it. You can't just kind of love it because those views are not just going to shoot out immediately. Oh, yeah. That's something that's going to take time. And it, if you're very and it's disheartening sometimes when you see it, but like you got to realize this is just the beginning you can't just take that and just let that get to you You got to just keep going and i mean i think that's one of the things that helped me is because when i started i was just like all right i'm just talking about wrestling whatever happens happens one person listens two people listen that's fine and then it just kind of snowballed from there eventually because it just became me and beth chilling having a conversation about wrestling yeah and you know i have very much had my weeks where i'm like thinking because i i have the wrestling love part that's not a question to me it's the yeah will it all you, be worth you it you will sit through stardom kanazawa show so yeah you love I wrestling do. i assure you i do i do i sit through a lot of uh 
non-existent show. So <laughs> you're right. You make a good point. And, you know, the I think the only doubt I ever have is just, you know, doing it on my own. But yeah. having these having these guest spots really do help because it adds some flair oh, to the show. It's something that you really can't do on your own. To be honest, I did like a couple episodes and then me and Beth had been friends for like about a year around that point. And she was just like, you should just let me on the podcast. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I should. And I was like, all right, you want to be a co-host? And then, cause like, it's very tiring when it's just yourself. Uh, it, it just, not only is it tiring, but like your throat gets dry or like you kind of lose a train of thought a little bit. Cause you got to stop for a second. It's one of those things that is much easier if you have somebody else with you. And if you do do oh, it by yeah. yourself, you can't go long. As much as you want to, you just can't. Now, my my uh, over-under is usually 45 minutes. Don't like to go too far unless I have a guest, which is my new thing now. I seem to have a guest yeah. every uh, every week or two. So it, it doesn't get too bad now. But after, like, doing 25 episodes by myself, I was like, okay, we got yeah. to get gotta something change up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I think is, you know, something for any podcast, not just like me sitting here solo. I think everyone decides yeah, to change up in content or whatever. But, you know, we'll move on into uh, – I, I don't even know how we got there. Um, uh, but, it's, just, it's snowballed. I mean <laughs> – Yeah, that's that's really how these conversations go. I don't – like I put down questions and I'm like, eh, if it happens, it happens. Like there's no yeah. – uh, I mean, that's, get that's some. The it's just the, that's 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 the thing with podcasts. Like, you have questions, and you'll get some eventually. It's just thanks, snowball, because you get hooked on a topic, and you're like, "Oh, there's this and this." Right. That's the beauty. I think that's the beauty of uh, podcasts. They're really just you having conversations that happen to be recorded. Nothing else. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So, all you, right, you had a good list of questions, though. So let's get to them. <laughs> yeah. All right. This is the one I've been waiting for because I feel like any anyone that follows you at under- a dumb millennial. All right. Yes. On Twitter, and you will find yes. out quick. <laughs> you love Ujiro more than anyone in the world. I swear. I swear. Maybe than like himself. Um, uh, I definitely don't love him more than the ladies, based on the interviews. This I've is read true. People. This yeah, is true. This, this is this true. Dude is a G. Uh, uh yeah go ahead i i just i want to know where your fandom of him came from because as someone that was you know pretty late into japan i only know the bullet club side of him yeah. which i think he has far more than the bullet club side of him if that makes sense um yeah. just from like clips that you've posted yeah. um like i see things and i'm like oh so he's not just the fifth guy in bullet club and the way they treat him so please like give me give me an idea of how you became such a fan of him okay so when did uh nakamura the good brothers and aj all sign with wwe was that 2016 i believe it is 2016 yes that's when aj debuted in the rumble so around that time new japan had started their uh access tv show and I'm always looking for wrestling on TV. It's, I was like middle school, maybe uh, 2016, middle school, maybe going into high school. I don't remember. But uh, they had shown their uh, shows on Access TV, and I was aware of what New Japan was. I mean, I was a TNA guy, so I would always see them bring in talent and work. So I was aware of what it was, especially with WWE in the news. And I was just starting to get like internet around that time. Like it was just a financial situation where it wasn't necessary for us. Uh, 
And on that Access TV show, I remembered Nights on Neutral from coming to TNA. Uh, but it was a Friday night. I think that's when they aired them. I was just chilling, and then that came on, and it was uh, from King of Pro Wrestling 2013. If you don't know how the Access TV shows work for New Japan, it's all old. It's not, like, up-to-date following the shows as they go on. Right, it's all, right. like, older content. Like, even now, they're just now getting the G1 Climax from last year. Yeah, it's funny you um say you got into it in 2016, but you had all the old stuff. I got into 2016, but um I was on the current stuff, so I'm very intrigued yeah. of seeing this continue. Yeah, so the match was King of Pro Wrestling. Uh, this was when Naito had won his first G1 uh, before he went to Mexico and all that and came back. Uh, he was defending the Never title and the uh, G1 contract against Yujiro. And they showed the little video package of their backstory. Of course, I knew they were a team. And then uh, it showed, like, Naito winning. It showed Yujiro injuring Naito. Naito winning G1, him winning the title from Masato Tanaka. Then, of course, Yujiro uh, was part of the complete players tag team with Masato Tanaka. So he, of course, challenged Naito because they have history for both the belt and the contract. Uh, and as I was going on just watching it, it was so different because I didn't know what was going on. And it was my true introduction into Puro as a whole and New Japan. Uh, and, like, I was just amazed because I was only watching American wrestling. I didn't see most of this stuff. And, like, the stretch that I remember vaguely is uh, Naito running off the ropes, Yujiro throwing him in the air and doing the pop-up German and then following it up by power bombing him into the turnbuckles with the buckle bomb and then following that up with a deadlift German. I was like, yo, this dude is crazy. So, uh, and then of course I became a fan of Naito from that too, but I was just like, yo, this dude's just a big guy. and <laughs> He just likes to throw people. It's like a mini Scott Steiner almost. So I was just like, oh, I love this dude. So as I actually, you know, you know, made the advances, got internet and all that stuff. And I just kept watching uh, more and more of his old stuff in, uh, around the time I actually like was able to catch up with New Japan, he had already settled into the lower tag role, which uh, wasn't his original position when he joined Bullet Club, but it's just what happened. And uh, that because I know he's very good. Uh, and uh, of course, hearing the stories about him being an actual straight up ladies man does also helps. It's like, oh, this guy's got game. But uh uh, going on and seeing like all the flack he caught from like Westerners on the internet, and I'm and I still stand by Westerners discovering New Japan was the worst thing that ever happened. Yes, uh, but uh, seeing all the flack he got was crazy, especially when he made G1 last year because I was happy for him. Like I said, he's my favorite wrestler in the company, so I was like, I was happy for him. And of course, him having that interview when he made G1, and he was just like, uh, and also it didn't help because last year with the pandemic, he got he got his chance to face Okada, but Okada hasn't been good in like three years, so uh, he just kind of went through the motions, even though Yudrio was trying his hardest to, you know, show that he can still wrestle, but Okada was having none of it. Uh, but, in, especially in that interview, seeing people just drag him down, he was just like, well, there was a point when, because uh, he was a top-tier guy in the Bullet Club up until uh I want to say twenty late twenty sixteen twenty seventeen yeah, something el- like that. I I just say the elite. Yeah, when the elite came in, that's when he kind of fell out of favor because when he was in the AJ era with Carl as the leader, he was definitely the number two heavyweight behind AJ. Uh, 
And he was just like, well, the first G1 I missed when they had to make room for Kenny, Sonata, and Evo and all of them, I like, I just sprung into a depression. I, I drunk a lot that summer, and I just, it was just hard for me to enjoy wrestling, so I was just like, I was like, I don't know why people hate this dude. This dude's just a normal guy who went through a struggle and is still trying to figure out if he likes wrestling still or not. And of course, after that G1, he had to change of heart, of course. He ended up enjoying his time, and I don't know. It's just one of those things where I also don't like to follow the crowd because everybody, it seems, find their favorites based on other people's opinions. I don't like that because you're just trying to fit into a crowd. I don't like that. Just go find what you like, who you like, and stick with it. And, you know, until that man retires, I'll always probably be his biggest supporter. I mean, that's just what it is. As you, as you, uh, saw on Twitter where I just said, yeah, New Japan is terrible after they had him lose the uh, six-man title match. I was like, yeah, I'm never watching this company. Yeah, it, I was going to bring up that match, um, but to go back to one thing, I think it's yeah. definitely important for fans that really love it to have favorites and favorites that, like you said, are outside the norm. Like, yeah. Yeah, someone could say, oh, they love John Cena. Oh, they love... Yeah, so does everybody. <laughs> Sasha Banks, like, yeah. uh, to name two. Because, like, yeah, guess what? Everyone does. Or everyone, you, yeah. you know? And this and is I, not a knock on those wrestlers. It's just one of those things where people don't right. form their own opinions. That's right. just become a thing and, in wrestling. And I think, you know, you can love, like you said, you can love those wrestlers. They're good, they're bad, whatever you prefer. Yeah. And... Or it's the opposite, and they hate those wrestlers, uh-huh. like, purposely. Like, I think it's like, I don't actually hate them, but since yeah. everyone likes them, I dislike them. And I think that's also something that is there. But like you said, having I a favorite. that hurts wrestlers more than anything is having people hype them up so much that when a person watches them and they don't meet their expectations, you have that idea that they're not good. Yep, I think that is something that someone like Helen Okada is experiencing now because yeah, because they weren't around for when he was good, or they or he's got this fan base that have hyped him up so much that now that he's at this state where he's just hurt, broken down, and it's just going through the motions, you can't really say he's that best in the world type of guy now. Right, right, and like you said, he's broken down. And I think that happens, like you said, to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened to John Cena. That um, Roman Reigns is a little different because people just didn't like him for other reasons. But yeah, you make a great point. Like people eventually come around to the point where they're not the same person that they were. And like you said, Okada three years ago, if you said he was the best in the world, I'd believe you. Now yeah. I wouldn't. No, it's just not true. It's he, he, like you said, is broken down. And I think if you said something like that, and I think Naito has been saved actually in that case. And he's someone that, you know, his knees are falling off, but he is a different case because he was never fully the top guy. And then when he became the top guy, COVID hit. So he's still in like this interesting situation where like people love him but he never got that uh, okada run if that makes sense yeah he never got his uh big run at the top he got the win that's cool and all but 
due to COVID, he didn't get his run that he deserved, and maybe and, that'll happen. And they the did the future. evil thing, which was yeah. weird. Well, uh, that probably would have always happened, but the thing is, if COVID didn't hit, he would have got at least a couple more defenses in. So right, right, right. And I, th- yeah, it's just not to like harp on at New Japan, which we're about to do anyways. Yeah, <laughs> but. I definitely agree with you. Like, you know, liking a wrestler just because you like them and not yeah. because of what other people says is very important. I think everyone that really loves wrestling has at least one of those people. Um, yeah. Uh, that, like my thing with uh, Dietro is also just because the Westerners and people outside of Japan discovering New Japan, they don't know nothing about Yujiro. They just take assumptions. Like I saw somebody say, uh, Ishii versus Yujiro for the Never title was like Yujiro's best match, and I assure you it wasn't. I mean, it was good, but it was not. So, it's one of those things where I know a lot of people don't know what they're talking about, so I'm just kind of like there. I'm just like, hey, just shut up. <laughs> Ishii's a great example of people that people hype up, and it's like, meh. Yeah. Uh, thing is, Ishii like, isn't bad, but all his matches are the same. He does like four moves. He does the no-sell spot, fighting spirit spot, and you know, that's the match. That's how it goes. And then he loses. Yeah. Which good. I mean, honestly, him as a world champion won't work as much as people want to believe it will. It won't. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm much on the uh, Goto side more than the Ishii. Oh, no. by a yeah, lot. yeah. Well, Goto's got what Ishii doesn't. It's called charisma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actual yeah. wrestling. So, uh, yeah. Charisma goes a long way in wrestling. I think people forget that. Yeah. Well, let's hop on your Jiro has. More. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Yudro's got all the charisma in the world. Man, the second crazy. that man walks out, you're like, oh, this guy, this guy has it. Like, I think that's something that I've learned. Like, I watched the uh, six man that we were going to talk about, and then he lost, yeah. so it didn't matter. Um, yeah. That match ended up actually being pretty good, which was great because I feel like people forget that a uh, Yudro, Evil, and Dick Togo are actually like, Good Three wrestlers. really good wrestlers. Yeah, yeah, when they actually like wrestle and they don't have to do the bullet club shit, you know. Which, which, which is based on one of the questions you gave me for New Japan, I actually had a, something to say about that because yeah, this was problem the, in New Japan. There's problems. <laughs> this was the next thing. So New Japan Pro Wrestling is a very popular promotion, as people know by of now. Um, I think you and me can agree it is not nearly what it should be or what it can be. Oh, no. um, how would you try and fix it? Uh, well, here's, here's the thing with New Japan is they have one, one of the big things is they've ruined their relationships with almost every company in Japan. Uh, it's crazy that they're even letting show go and do that Gleet show because that was stunning to me because they're very much, we're the only wrestling company that matters. That's very much what their mindset is. Uh, and they've screwed over almost every other promotion in Japan to the point where they have no one they can really work with. All the other wrestling companies in Japan and uh, oh, let's move together so we can uh, let's join together and try to raise wrestling up. Uh, so let's continue to work together and try to do our best but new japan they've ruined those relationships uh so they can't work together with other companies so partnership ideas is out the out the window excuse me i gotta send a text no worries 
Okay. Back to what I was saying. So everybody else has the mindset that we can raise wrestling together if we work together. New Japan has double-crossed every company they've come across. Uh, uh, so they can't really work with other companies in Japan. So they've looked toward the Western, and this probably also attributes to the previous fact is they've gotten very popular on a global scale. So they're just like, oh, do we even need these companies' uh, support? Uh, they've been too worried of focusing on appealing to the Western crowd than they are in Japan. They're, they've kind of shied away from catering to the Japanese audience in a sense with some of the stuff they do. They're more so worried about, oh, can this do something for us on a global scale. So that's one of their big problems is they're too focused on Westerners' opinions instead of their home base. And that's probably why Cyberfight's been able to make some strides because they're still very much focused on their home base, but they're also going to try to appear to the international audience by saying, hey, this is kind of what we do. Uh, another big thing is people might like this, but I think the tournaments in New Japan is what single-handedly it's killing the interest in the whole company. Uh, so New Japan Cup was originally a very small tournament. It wasn't as big as a field as it was now. Uh, and I think that hurt it. Uh, they did it one year for the G1 Supercard, and I figured that would be it. But they've started to continue doing it, and I don't know why. Because it's because basically what all these tournaments are doing is running through all their fresh matchups. These... Com- uh, this company does not have a gigantic roster. Uh, so just running through all their big, fresh matchups in G1 and uh, even best of the Super Juniors, New Japan Cup, that's not a good idea because by the time they have a program for the title, you've seen them wrestle like three times already. The tournaments I've ruined as far as their fresh matches. Uh, and as much as people love G1 and all this stuff, it's what's killing the company because... New Japan only books to the tournaments. They don't book anything outside of that because there's a lot of guys that don't make uh, G1 or Tag League or Best of Super Juniors, and they could be fresh matchups for champions, but they only book to tournaments, so they don't build any of these guys up throughout the year. So it's kind of like, okay, how are we going to take them seriously? Uh, and, I mean, they can only run the same match so many times before people are just like, okay, when are you going to do something different? But they can't because they haven't built anybody up. Uh, another thing is, of course, uh, the junior division, that needs fixing. Uh, they need to put some effort into that and uh, possibly get some new names in there, maybe some freelancers, who knows. Uh, and then, of course, like, their biggest thing is, like, their tag division. Uh, both of them are just abysmal. Uh, the juniors, I kind of understand because there's not what? a lot you of don't, them. You don't like Gorillas of Destiny winning every other month? No, I do not, actually. <laughs> uh, but uh, the juniors, I kind of understand a bit because there's not a lot of them. Uh, so there's not many room, much room to make tag teams. With the heavyweight tag titles, they have no real excuse. Uh, you have a faction system. Just have two people in a faction team up and challenge for the tag belts. It's the most simple form formula in Piro. Don't worry about having a designated tag team for a unit. Just do random combinations. Uh, that would also go into my next point of inter-faction championship matches. 
the LIJG one matches and best of super junior matches, they're always talked about as being very good, but you only see them in G1 and you don't see them for titles. If you want to make money, have people within their faction challenge somebody else within their faction for a title because it's matches that you don't expect, especially not in New Japan, but it's fresh. Do something. Uh, I think those are like the biggest issues. Uh, I mean, of course, there's other issues, but as far as like with their product itself, that's probably the biggest things to tackle, really. I think you definitely made a great point of them trying to please Westerners more than their home base, like you said. I think, you know, bringing in the idea of how Cyberfight's doing it is very interesting to me because you can see it throughout all three of their promotions. Like, um, TJPW is a clear sign of that. Like, they're very much treating their, the Japanese fans correctly but at the same yes, time correct. they are you know it's the to me it's the little things like you know yeah. they add english commentary so that people yeah. can listen but hey like we're not going to change our booking for you like that's yeah. just and i don't think any promotion should do that and maybe that also is a detriment that the fans don't know much i mean no offense well actually yeah take offense i don't care most of the western fans are very ignorant to the history of new japan really like uh, when the Okada and Yujiro feud started, fucking Japanese fans, they got it right away. And I was right there. I was like, oh my god, they're actually revisiting this because it was Yujiro was the first chaos defector who left the unit to turn and join Bullet Club and help AJ win the heavyweight title. So Bullet Club had the heavyweight title. So I was like, oh. And they never followed up on it outside of them having a G1 match later that year. So I was just like, oh, they're revisiting this and redoing it with him costing evil or costing okada the match against evil those just small things where it's just like most of the fans don't understand and that's the problem with catering to the western fans and you know of course i've already just said my gripe about keeping things fresh with matches and such well like you said they're lazy and i think that's Mm -hmm. like a serious thing to say because it's true um when companies are able to use the stories that they have created and use them at a later date, whether it's years down the line or mm-hmm. months down the line, it always makes for better product. And I think that is a great example. I think, you know, you can look at some companies that do use that well mm-hmm. and they tend to be the better companies. And then there are other companies where they'll forget about it and then they'll like kind of remember it so i'm definitely on board with you new japan um the junior thing right on key if they could fix that and you know travel doesn't help that because yeah because a lot of their juniors they were bringing in are elsewhere like dragon lee uh bandito did best of super juniors a lot of the cmll guys right and that relationship with ring of honor which i I have no idea if it's existing anymore it's uh, existent Okay. Okay, that's yeah, good. Cause because they're talking about it on strong and stuff, so it's oh, still good. Oh yeah, because uh, Dickinson and um, Brody, Brody King. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I think you know the strong show, like from what I hear, is actually pretty decent. Um, it is, but it's just compared it to no everything. Uh, that and 
putting it in a time where wrestling's so hot around the world and all these different companies, it's hard for some people to make time to get into this New Japan show that they've started for the New Japan of USA branch and stuff like that. Not that the talent is bad, it's just one of those things where there's just so much other good wrestling that you could say is better going on, and it's hard for them to just put that into their schedule right now. Yeah, yeah. And I think another thing that is important with New Japan is I think they have this, which a lot of companies do, like I could go in all day about how AEW does this, is that they don't always value the talent they've had for a long time, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, that's for true. Which, Kojima's like on one of his best runs in a while simply because they've let him go to like do impact and stuff and he's doing right. <laughs> right. And I thought even like Nagata's few mm-hmm. things um, here in the States were great too. And it comes down to like, yes, everyone is excited for the new names and excited for uh, the younger guys, but like you said, Kojima's having one hell of a run in impact of all places, yeah. which I feel like that should be the clearest sign that, hey, maybe he can still go, guys. Like, come on. Um, I like that they're giving him um, the third generation title match. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, um, I, I thought that would be rather good. But, it, yeah, for me, I'm I'm with you. It's like all these little things that they could do, and they keep lapping. Like, mm-hmm. A big thing for me, which I was talking about the other day with uh, pretty much you and Dylan, was like they had Osprey lap a lot of people who were deserving of that title. A lot. Yeah, we, uh, I could have a whole side series about Osprey. Yeah, we're not, we don't uh, have to talk about him because no yeah. one wants to talk about him. But like, yeah, but I get what you mean. No, you're right. They had him lap Shingo, even, which. He beat Shingo three times in a row. Uh, I don't know how validated for Shingo. How they gave Shingo the belt, but that was only a technicality. That doesn't change the fact that he got beat in the New Japan Cup, got beat again, and then just got handed another title match. Yeah, they were never going to give him the title. I feel like that's a thing a lot of people are forgetting. Like, there yeah, was not the a point. The was to get that belt back on Okada. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there was no point that Shingo was going to be champion, and now that Osprey got hurt, who knows what their plans are? Probably just if Osprey comes back, they're going to give it right back to him. But um, even like with, I'm a Sonata fan, and some people I hate do. him, some people yeah. don't. You like Sonata, you get it. They're just ugly if they don't like him. That's, that's this is true. Is. This is a good point. This is the value, and I just don't understand like how he hasn't been champion yet. Cause I feel like I've been hearing for years since I started um, following new Japan, that this guy is going to be world champion. Well, well I'm sitting here in 2021 thing, and he's not. The biggest thing is just him being a freelancer. Uh, he had a new Japan contract, right, right. but that ran out like two years ago and he just never signed another deal. Uh, I know his one freelancer point, contract is frustrating. Uh, that was a big. That's a big thing because Ibushi was a freelancer for the longest time until he fully signed on. They didn't give him either the big belts, the Intercontinental, or the heavyweight. Which I mean, I could go all day about why getting rid of the Intercontinental is stupid because the U.S. title has no value whatsoever. Uh, not a real but, belt. Yeah, it's just not. I don't know what made them get rid of the IC. They're just dumb for that. But uh, 
Yeah, him being a freelancer doesn't help. I know at one point he was negotiating with WWE, but of course that didn't go anywhere because he sticked around in New, New Japan. Uh, maybe he'll get, like I said, I think it's a, more of a pay thing. Is he'll he gets paid more and probably gets direct cuts of all his merch. So maybe eventually, maybe they just give him that exact contract so that he can just win things because yeah, unless he uses his freelance ability to actually freelance. It makes negative sense to me because if you look at like his cage match, everything he's done is New Japan or like Rev Pro. Like he does, he does like the memorial shows in Japan, but usually New Japan doesn't have problems with people doing those, so that wouldn't really affect him if he signed. Yeah, it's it's. Just, I guess it's just a personal gripe. Like, yeah, you can no, really you could say it about any a lot of their wrestlers and like how and a, some and, have hopped over them. And what goes into another point that I have, uh, I uh, you watch Stardom, so you you kind of know where I'm going with this. I sure do. Uh, but one of the big reasons people think Sonata is bad is him going 30 minutes all the time with Okada. Sonata has gone on record and said he doesn't like long matches. He doesn't think that it's necessarily pro wrestling. Uh, so him going 30 minutes resulting in a bad match is not a shocker, especially when Okada hasn't been on it since his last big, big title run. Not the one they gave him just after MSG, but the big one. Uh, that's another thing. Their problem is they have this formula where every main event must be a big match epic. Uh, I have no desire to see Tanahashi and Jay White go 35 minutes. Nevertheless, for the Never title of all things, don't do that. Uh, and that's just a bushy road thing up and down, like stardom. Uh, I'm not going to count the the Shuri and uh, Utami match. That, that was fine, but they've very much fallen into that. We need long match epics as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm with you there as someone that watches stardom and watches new japan from time to time it's if the match runs well it can go long but i feel like having the mentality that it needs to be 30 minutes is Mm -hmm. not a good mentality because then you see guys just trying to get to that end number Mm -hmm. rather than putting something together that is worth your time like I rather watch a 15 minute sprint between two wrestlers that you yeah. know do everything that a 44 new, minute New Japan match did. That's one but, of my biggest uh, problems. Of uh, yeah, don't worry, folks. We're gonna get out of New Japan here in a second. But that's one of my uh, biggest things with Jay White is his matches are usually 30 minutes of absolute nothing, and then everything he needs to do is in the last five minutes. He's just trying to get to a number. Yep. Yep, it's just, eh, yeah. Like you said, enough New Japan. Um, yeah, no, I won't talk about New Japan. <laughs> I've I've kept you for longer than I meant to. However, I do want to talk about Dragon Gate real quick because I feel you are one of the, um, you know, you're one of the leading names. I feel like on my Twitter at least that you know talk about it consistently. And Dragon Gate has been around for a very long time. There's been many a wrestler of popularity that have went through there um um both japanese and um on the american side or the yeah. gaijin side i should say um so let me ask you uh, uh-huh. 
for someone that wants to get into Dragon Gate, because I feel like they're like you said earlier, this is this big thing of like it's New Japan and everyone else. Well, everyone else is still really good. And Dragon Gate is a company that I've started to check out this year, and there are some wrestlers that are just incredible. So you want to give me, like, why not only people should check it out, but um, maybe a few wrestlers worth the time and maybe some matches as well? Uh, Yeah. Uh, By by he didn't mean to keep me this long. It's like he had, like, after this question, he had, like, two other ones, but we just get so frustrated with New Japan. Sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, But, uh... Yeah, we'll, we'll get to those. The, the last one shouldn't take long because y'all know what I'm going to say if you follow me on Twitter. But uh, this one, uh, well, it's very simple. Uh, Dragon Gate is, if people cared about junior heavyweight wrestling, this it would be Dragon Gate because Ultimo Dragon, uh, Dragon Gate's precursor, Toy Mon Japan, uh, of course, founded by Ultimo Dragon. Uh, they basically were the blueprint in the 90s for what wrestling would become and that continued on with dragon gate and i still think that what happens in dragon gate will be the pro wrestling of tomorrow uh every show i watch uh and it just it's so interesting because it is a pro promotion but it's very much lucha influenced because of course ultimo dragon very big name in mexico and of course there was a lot of people from Tori Montrain in Mexico, and even some in the Dragon Gate roster who have been. Uh, so they have the tag belts, which is the Twin Gate, the Triangle Gate, uh, which is the six-man belts. Those belts are special because all tag matches are under Lucha rules, so no tags needed. If one person rolls out, you come in. Just makes for a much more fun aspect. And then the Brave Gate, which is, I don't want to say the junior heavyweight belt because most of them are around junior heavyweight size. Uh, but there's a weight limit on it. And then uh, the Dream Gate, which is the top belt. Uh, the company is different from everybody because this is very much one of those companies that you can just watch and enjoy. It's not always serious. There's a lot of comedy involved. And even on house shows, uh, they run a lot of house shows, but most of their house shows are like 90% them doing comedy and having fun being a family-friendly show and like 10% wrestling. Uh, if you wanted to hop in now, I would suggest just starting. Uh, honestly, you could just start uh, at the King of Gate finals, really, and uh, just get a grasp of some of the characters, uh, especially because I think that their main event with the finals of KZ versus Kota Minoru is probably one of the best matches I've seen all year from the men's side of things. Uh, but uh, if you just wanted to check it out, uh, there's a few matches that I recommend from the past and some from the present. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Some of your favorite wrestlers may have came through Dragon Gate. Akira Tozawa came through Dragon Gate. The current IWGP World Champion came through Dra- Dragon Gate. Uh, Uha Nation, a.k.a. Apollo Crews, he did a tour through Dragon Gate, Ricochet, just a lot of people. Uh, from the past, I really recommend... Uh, it was a Twin Gate Championship match. I want to say it was 2015 Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival. It was Ida and T-Hawk versus Shingo and Akira Tozawa. Just a really fun tag match. Uh, uh, then, honestly, I would just go in the archives and watch all the Dead or Alive matches because there's so much going on uh, in those matches that you're just like, oh my god, what am I watching? Uh, but recently, 
I, like I said, the Kota Minora versus uh, KZ match from King of Gate Finals. Uh, also would recommend the UT versus KSK Okuda Brave Gate Championship match from Dead or Alive. Uh, Shun Skywalker and Kaito Ishida had two really good matches this year. The first one's around 29 minutes. I usually prefer the shorter match, but I, you kind of have to watch the 29-minute one because it was in Kaito's hometown of Osaka. So, like, the uh, no noise-making rule kind of went out the window once they got through their closing stretches. Uh, so those are just a few matches. And, of course, like, it's just one of those things where you got to watch and kind of discover who you like because a lot of these guys are very good. Some are older vets, but a lot of the guys they're trying to push are people who are going to still be here in the future or not, like, up there in age, if you will. Yeah, man. Um, as someone that, you know, has just looked into, like, I I often find myself on cage match just kind of seeing, like, where wrestlers have gone um, yeah. and what they've gone through. And you've been an advocate for wwe giving you back a character's hour for a while now oh, i hope, yeah. I hope oh, yeah. they do eventually because he doesn't deserve what he's getting now um it's just ridiculous but um i did have a question for you that i didn't write down how no, that's fine. did you feel about Pac when he went back uh that was actually how i got into dragon gate actually uh oh him, yeah him versus uh, Casey for the Dreamgate Championship was how I got back into Dragon Gate because I saw him appear at Dragon Gate. I had watched Dragon Gate, but I didn't. I wasn't a constant follower. I would just check in here and there. Uh, honestly, I thought it did great because not only did it give Dragon Gate more pl- uh, publicity, but uh, Pac, out of all, like he was very respectful of Dragon Gate. Uh, out of all the places he could have turned up, like I know AW when they first started up. Were, like politic and hard to get him over there and so were other companies but he was like no i have to return to dragon gate that's going to return to dragon gate that's what i'm gonna do and then when they gave him the dream gate championship he was like hey i'm sorry i'm dream gate champion i can't lose so that was my favorite part of that i yeah because um i remember they were trying uh aw is trying to set up the match between him and uh hangman page and he mm-hmm. was still champion at the time they're like yeah no i he can't lose not happening and yeah a lot i of remember people thought that was a dragon gate thing no that was a pop thing he was yeah. just very big about hey i'm dream gate champion i can't lose which i think is awesome i think that um is something you know people probably get angry about because that people get angry about a lot of things but he was he was the champion like yeah don't beat him and also and I, I respect also, that he did that for the good at heart because him being so dom- dominant because he didn't lose at all in Dragon Gate. That all was built up just to make Ben K at Kobe World when he had gotten the storyline of being kicked out of R.E.D. and going on this chase where he went undefeated through King of Gate. He did all of this just to make Dragon Gate a new star. And to me, I think that's what you look for in a good professional wrestler is someone yeah. looking to make someone else better um yeah. i think I went, he was on his way out he he was right. the aw he was on his way out so he was like what can i do to pay y'all back yeah and i i do wish like he was able to do more not in aw if that makes sense like i wish he How, the user about more. a lot of people we'll, well this is true next, i mean we're not going to talk about the guy so uh, yeah yeah i mean there. you would uh you would know i think i talk about 
pack at least once a day in our um, I website talk about Death Triangle all the time. So. Yeah, you get it. You get it. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> they could. Yeah. They could. No, there's so just a lot of people. Everywhere. Yeah, there is. Which, speaking of which, why don't we get into that? Um, I literally before, wrote... before we hop in here, I'll just like say that's a problem with AEW. They need to fix this. I mean, they have so many shows. You mean you can't give these guys TV time or actual uh, wins? One of the big things when this company started was Winner Kenny and the Bucks getting the titles. And since they've gotten the titles, the titles have been devalued like there's nobody's business. Yep. Uh, like I said, I think I tweet about it every time I watch Dynamite. Every single week, I grow to love Powerhouse Hops more and more. Oh, that and means like, this guy it. is a star. Do something with him. He shouldn't just be the Team Taz pin eater. Do something with him. You know, it's a big thing for me, and this was not at all where I was expecting to go, but I keep yeah, looking at, like, it, yeah, go ahead. where, who could beat Miro, and, like, Powerhouse Hobbs, I feel like, should be an instant top choice. Um, he should, but if they went the route of Eddie Kingston at that New York show, I wouldn't hate it. I think that that's probably where they should go, and uh, with the tag titles, I think they should also go with Santana and Ortiz winning at that New York show as well. Yeah, I saw that I pitch, think. which I think that would be um, brilliant as well. Either one, perhaps both, I think that yeah. would be great. Um, yeah. I, so let's, let's, a lot let's, of talk about, let's talk about the most controversial problem within AEW. Uh, the AEW women's division. This is literally all I wrote. Um in the like little text that I sent you, I was like, okay, yes. this is what we're talking about. You wrote an article about this, so I knew yeah. that you would be able to jump in with this. And yeah. um, it's, it was literally like you and Alex called Dark Elevation the A show the other day um, because that's like the only show the women are valued on, which is ridiculous. Um, that was the only place I could see Rio, Rio Mizunami before she went back to Japan. So Yeah, and she lost to Abaddon, so let's just... Yeah, and then it was like, all right, what? I got to go. <laughs> and, now, and now poor Yuka Sakazaki gets to do the same. Um, yeah. There's a but, lot of problems. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, and to me, the scariest part is that the problems have become worse since giving the one person the belt... That was supposed to help elevate the division in some people's eyes. Not mine, but some people's eyes. No, I certainly had that outlook as well. Like, me and Alex talk about it a lot. Or Britt Baker is not a very good wrestler, as much as people would like to abdicate that. Don't get me wrong. Her wrestlers are Thunder Rosa ruled, but she's not a very good wrestler. Um, also, she's it's not, like, technically her full-time job. I mean, she's also a dentist, though. So. But... The thing is, she not only has the charisma, but she had all the focused attention. Like, 90% of the last Dynamite shows when, or over the, literally through the whole pandemic, when Cheetah was champion and was sitting in the crowd, they at least had Britt Baker on the show doing a promo. Uh, So she was the de facto biggest star in the division. And since they gave her the belt, they've done nothing. They This feud is not working with Nyla. It's just not, and it's not nobody in the division's fault. We, uh, me and Alex talked about Pen- uh, Penelope Ford versus Julia Hart. This is not their fault. They're not TV ready, but the company made the decision to use them to get a men's feud started. And then the same thing is every week they have to hit the last hour quota of, okay, let's shove a Jade segment in here or like a five-minute women's match so we can say we had women on the show. That's not going to help. Um, 
Dude, it just, the Jade segments are like, uh, thankfully, like they added someone yeah. to help her out. But my God, for like an entire two months there, just, it was just, I'm that bitch. And it was just brutal. And like, yeah. I'm happy they recognized, hey, this is her. Like, mm-hmm. no, that's is, a good thing. And they put a good person with her. I think Marcus Sterling's great. And I think that'll eventually help Jade whenever she does win the title. I think it'll be great. But the thing is, the women lack reps. Uh, from you can't okay. One, they need somebody in charge of the women who care about the women. Like I said, I was thinking. Like I said, Mickey James, she's not fully signed with NWA, so maybe throw a pitch at her. Uh, who loves the women? Who is a veteran? Who knows what they're doing, and can actually put stuff together for the women. You can't just sit there and have a guy book this. It's just not going to work. Because uh, they're only looking at a men's output. They're not thinking about anything else. And they don't get TV reps. Like like I said, they get like maybe a five-minute match here and there, or like a segment or something. But most of them are on dark. Give them some reps on TV. How do you expect them to get better? That's the one of the big flag that people have with the division is all... This person's not good or that person's not good. How can they get better if they're not on TV? They're not getting a chance to get better on TV and get acquainted with the situation they're in. Going from doing doing the indies to TV is two different things. My best example is that Thunder Rosa has been on Dynamite once since her match with Britt Baker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, and they just, I don't know, it just seems like if you want to see the women's division, you just got to watch the YouTube shows because you're not going to get it on the main show. Uh, and it's crazy to think. Maybe even when her contract's up, don't give Hikaru Shida the book because booking the whole side of the Japanese bracket showed that she has a mind for this business and she could probably help this division a lot. Uh, not just with her matches speaking for themselves, but it's just they need somebody in charge who cares who knows what they're doing because obviously whoever's doing it now they don't know who because they don't know who's booking this division they like to push the blame on each other uh whoever's doing it now is just not getting it i will give my props to dustin rose because he holds classes with these girls and tries to help them all improve and he's done that with a lot of them but they don't get a chance to even try because they're not on tv yeah, they really don't, and I think you made a lot of good points in the sense that putting someone in power that cares and gets it is very important. And I'm not taking a shot at – I don't even know how much Kenny has control anymore because I know he did. Dude, I don't know who point. runs this division anymore. They just no, I say, think it's, nope, it's not me. Like, to me, I think it's just probably run by whoever runs Dynamite. It's probably yeah. not even – like, Kenny probably – is someone that like brings in talent, yeah. but I highly doubt that that's what he's focused on nowadays yeah. um, because, you know, he's working on the game and he happens to have four do- titles and yeah. he probably worries about other things. So I doubt it's him, but yeah, I'm with you uh, bringing someone in. I think Mickey James is a great shout because she's already done a lot for the NWA and she's only been there for like two weeks. Like the biggest thing is she's not signed. Go get her. She even right. said she's, she's like, I'm very, not fine. Yeah, she's very adamant about that. She also refuses to wrestle on the women's pay-per-view that she's booking, which I think she's focused on moving women's wrestling forward. Right. That's and all she wants to do. She, it, she was very open about how like she wanted to do uh 
things in WWE for the women. And they like they asked her to become an agent. And she said yes, but can I have this program where I put somebody over on my way right. out because this is my last shout? And they were just like, no. Right, which simple. is just ridiculous, and that's just an entirely different topic that I, we're not going yeah. into today. Yeah. Um, but she's a great shout. Um, I also say, like, using your own talent, for one, massive, like, please do that. Two, I would like if they wanted to use the impact relationship, like, one dime yeah. for more than I, just Kenny and the Good Brothers. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I don't know why they decided Doc Gallows was the biggest gain they could get from this relationship. But, yeah, that would help a lot. Even if... Okay, here's the thing. If you're not going to put him on Dynamite, send him to Impact and let him work at Impact. Impact will put him on TV. Right, go do Hikaru Shida and Deanna Perazzo. Like, come on. Like, do go let, go like let that. You're doing tag teams on Dark Elevation. Go let them challenge for the Knockouts tag titles. Yeah, because they need tag teams. That's a good... Yeah. That's a great example uh, like I know Thunder Rosa and they do the NWA stuff too, but like you said, those knockouts titles there, you could send Nyla and some And Impact is not shy about letting letting people who aren't as experienced get TV reps. They will do it. They have no problem with it. No, they do exactly. They and I think they understand they're brilliant. not a gigantic company anymore. They're willing to let you try out anything. And I think a good example of like why impact would be a good use is they don't have tag teams. They just, they've lost a lot of people. Like a lot of things have happened in impact, but they're still going, they're still trying. And the thing is, there's a lot of good talent in that division too, that those people could work with. So, yeah, I, I should rephrase. Like when I say they don't have a lot as in tag teams, like they have a lot of great wrestlers, mm-hmm. um, but like they had Jordan Grace and Rachel Aaron. They just bro- pretty much broke them up again. Like I say, you just send the women there. If you're not going to use them on dynamite, because they, <laughs> they have two women's matches at least a week on impact television. And my last real solution would be to focus on them on rampage. When that debuts, if you don't want to, fo- if you don't want to focus on them on dynamite, use Rampage as the show that is going to be heavily featured by the women. Yeah, if, I think if you have, say, three matches on the show, you have two that are women's, or one one that is the longer match. The they have one the match show. that goes 10 minutes. That's already more than Dynamite's doing. So. Yep, well, like you said, it was Penelope Forge versus Julia Hart. That was it this week. Like That yeah. is ridiculous because, first of all, like you said, they're not TV-ready. That should be a dark or dark elevation match. That should not, and it was to build to Brian Pillman versus Miro. It wasn't even for them, which just sucks. This dude Miro came down and said, I'm God's champion. I'm going to kill you. All right, that's fine. But, okay, for our one women's match, this is what we're using it for? Yeah, it's just, there's so many problems. But oh, yeah. Before we get into the last one, I'll, this is my last statement. I understand the women's fans' frustration. I have that same frustration. But adding a tag title will not help that frustration. Adding a secondary title won't help that frustration because they can't even book the one title they have. When they were using the NWA title, that seemed like it was more important than their world title because they got all the good stuff. Yep, and they don't even use Riho. Thank you for the reminder. Yeah. Um, just bad. Uh, all right, my last topic of the day is Paul White, a.k.a. The Big Show, a.k.a. The Giant. Um, you have a 
love for Paul White. I one, do you want to see him wrestle in AEW? Two, why do you love him so much? And three, um, what do you think of you know Paul White's legacy as a wrestler? Okay, I'll answer the AEW one first, and then the other two kind of loop together. So, uh, okay, so he, I don't know, he wants to wrestle, and that's, and I don't think he can. I don't think he needs to be a full time wrestler, and I don't think he thinks he needs to be a full time wrestler. He just wants to wrestle. Uh, I see no harm in him doing that, really, especially since the last couple matches he had were with. All the last few matches during the time where Big Show would show up like once or twice a year were all like good. I mean, he got Braun Strowman over and, you know, he's not a technical wizard by any chance. Uh, The thing is, like, I think Paul White is in a position where he understands that, you know, they could have him go after a title, but realistically he won't win. He's probably cool with that. He just wants to wrestle. And I know one of the big things I was listening to the oral session with him and Renee Paquette was just like, he was just like, I think I can help a lot of the younger big guys that we have and talk to them and help them out a little bit. Like even he was talking to Lance Archer, who's been doing this forever and he was just passing him stuff on that was new. Like I think it's a good asset and I would like to see him wrestle in AEW, even if it's just like a tag match or something, just do anything with him, really. I always thought like having him put over like a ward low would be a good thing. Yeah, I think him working with Wardlow, Powerhouse Hobbs, guys like that will be fun. Uh, not Jake Hager. I think all those will be fun. God, uh, no, not Jake yeah. Hager. Uh, that, and you could also just put him in a tag team. Like, you can just throw him with a tag team. He, he'll he be a fine tag team guy. And, I mean, he's done it pretty much his whole career. Uh, but I think his, like, main goal is probably, like, whenever he's wrapped up is to get on commentary full-time, in which he's getting reps to do that on Dark Elevation. But... I don't know if putting him with Tony Schiavone, who also doesn't know anybody on this roster, helps. <laughs> uh, yeah, putting him with an Excalibur would have been far yeah. better. Yeah, that would have been a smart thing to do. Um, now, as far as to why I like him, well, because, I mean, I was born in 02. I didn't see Andre the Giant. I saw the big show. I was like, bro, what is up with this massive dude? And then, of course, I was watching WCW. This dude's coming down to the ring, smoking cigarettes, doing missile drop kicks at, like, seven foot tall. And I'm like, what in the world is this freak of nature? Um, and then I, a lot of my fond memories are from, from like, the Ruthless Aggression era, uh, especially when he was, like, U.S. champ. Uh, him, like, putting Eddie Guerrero through, like, a car. And then, of course, him coming back after he took, like, a year off and getting his head shaved by Kurt Angle, shooting with a tranquilizer dart and all that. Uh, also, watching a lot of 2002 SmackDown where he was he got a WWE Championship run and him and Brock had a rather entertaining feud. Him and Angle always had good matches. Uh, it's just one of those things where it's just, like, uh, it's just he's such a legendary figure in wrestling and he just gets constantly disrespected in the modern era. Because most people on the internet like to fancy themselves as, you know, wrestling critics, work rate people, if you will, which is one of the dumbest things out there. Uh, He doesn't get a lot of respect, and I feel that he should, because, I mean, he's done a lot. Not stretching over across all the companies he's been a part of, he's done a lot. Uh, And his legacy in wrestling, like I said, is complicated, especially now. He doesn't get the same respect that he should, but 
as in wrestling as a whole, he's probably one of the greatest, like top a hundred maybe, uh, because he's held a world title, WCW, WWE, uh, even held the ECW title for some reason, and was doing like death matches with Ric Flair. So like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what there is to say. I mean, he's like genuinely one of the greatest who like doesn't get any respect simply because in WWE when you're not interesting you turn heel or you turn face and he does it all the time <laughs> Big Show to me is the greatest team player any company could ever have that's that's to me what he ex- oh, for sure. was because hell he didn't love you know switching back and forth from heel to face to heel to face you know that he said yeah. that on his um, interview with Renee, but he did what they asked him because that's the guy he was. And his his legacy is if it, he's not the greatest giant of all time, he's number two. Like that's yeah. it's not even a question. I'll put, like, for me, he's number two. Uh, yeah, and I'll now explain why I put Kevin Nash at number one simply because he got everybody paid. He sure he, did. Yep. He had the strict mindset of a businessman. And sometimes you need that because he, no no doubt, people say whatever they want, but he helped the business because those people were not getting guaranteed money. Like, Scott Hall's biggest thing before he left WWE was like, I'm not getting enough money to support a family. I need more. When they went to WCW, not only did they get the guaranteed deal, but they got more money when WWF announced that Razor Ramon and Diesel uh, were coming back, so they got to double their money. So they helped get guaranteed contracts for everybody across all companies. So that's a big thing. Uh, then, of course, you know him being a part of the NWO. That helped the business a lot during a boom period where wrestling wasn't really you know, cool necessarily. Still not very cool, but... Uh, that's probably why I would put him at number one, but I think that Big Show is probably a good number two. There's this great um, interview thing on uh, the network, oh, Peacock, whatever the fuck it's called now, um, where Nash, it's about Nash and Sean. And I watched they, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they let, and Nash goes into how this was always just business for him. And I think yeah. he was like, it, Sean's dream was to be a wrestler, my dream was to be rich. Right, and he his psychology of how he went into this, I think, is just brilliant, and mm-hmm. which is what you went into there. Um, he's very open about that, and I think um, that's great. And I'm I'm with yeah. you. Like those two are probably anyone will probably have those two and Andre yeah. as their three. Yeah, which, I don't see how you can hate Nash too, because a lot of people say he's lazy, but he was just like, well, when WCW got purchased, they said okay, do you want to come to work for less money or do you want to sit at home and get paid your big paycheck? Okay, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know why anyone yeah. would do else. Like, And he didn't even show up to the final Nitro. He was like, I don't work for WWE. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just so grand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I respect the hell out of uh, both of them. Like, they did a lot of different things for the business. And I feel like a big Especially show... for big guys. Yeah. Big Show especially should have been appreciated more. Um, he always says how he should have been the, like, attraction more than just another guy. That's what he should have always been. And I think WWE didn't respect him in that aspect, yeah. especially towards the end of his run there. But, 
Hey, this was um this was a great talk. We talked yeah. about a lot of things here, there, and everywhere. We talked about New Japan, we talked about Paul White, Kevin Nash, the women's division, AEW. We talked about everything. <laughs> we did, we did. And I think that's the beauty of wrestling. You could talk about literally anything, and I yeah. feel there's just a great conversation behind it. So thanks for coming on. Oh, no problem. Um, so yeah, um, hope uh, hope you enjoyed. This won't be the last time, I'm f- for certain. There will probably be another time down the road where yeah. I will happily have you on. But thank you again for coming on. Unfortunately, Ujiro didn't win the title. That was the original idea. Yeah, that was behind the original this. plan, but you know. <laughs> but things don't work out because New Japan hates Xavier, and that's the way it is. Yeah, it, it'd be like that. Well, <laughs> thank you. No problem. また美学でしょう夢見